0: Welcome to the sermon podcast from North Decatur United Methodist Church, where all are welcomed and included, connected with God and with one another, and sent out in service and invitation to the world. Each week we bring you the most recent sermon from me, Patrick Fallhipper, or from guest preachers. Thank you for listening and subscribing. Would y'all pray with me? God, we thank you for gathering us in this space. We thank you for the nudge that you placed in our heart to be present this day. We thank you for an opportunity to settle down into who you are calling us to be, to who you are in this place. It is only sacred because of the intention that meets us here. God, as we turn our hearts and minds to the reading of scripture, to exploring its content, we ask that you would open our hearts, open our minds, open our lives to receive your wisdom. Most especially, God, whether it's because of me or in spite of me, I pray that it would be your name that is glorified, and it is your word that is lifted, elevated, and held. Amen. So, um, I've got a weird set of habits in the morning. Um I live in Medlock Park, which is right around the corner from this church. I live maybe half a mile away. Ironically, I still have to drive here because of Lawrenceville Highway and Church Street and North Decatur. And I just refuse uh, both to walk and to ride my bike. It's horrifying. But I live right around the corner. But my morning habit looks basically the same every single day. I wake up. My alarm goes off at 6. I get up at like 6.30. And then I go out, I uh, let the chickens out, I feed the chickens, clean their water, come back inside. My dogs have had recent dental work so now I have to like soak their food for a couple minutes and they're getting older and one of my dogs is super anxious so I have to give liver medicine to one, to Kylie and then anxiety medicine to my other dog, Benny, uh, because otherwise he literally, he's a 65 pound dog and he literally Sandra will shake. Unless we give him some good Prozac, so... (laughs) I give them their medicine, and then I go back and grab their food which has been soaking during the time that I've had to, you know, every morning is a struggle to get a pill into a dog's mouth. Y'all dog owners, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, it's both gross and dangerous. Like, it's a weird combination of things. But I give them their medicine, then I grab their food that's been soaking, and we have to now feed them separately because Benny, who has anxiety, is sure that Kylie is going to come steal his food, even though he doesn't really want to eat it because his mouth hurts. So there's this weird tension between them that now we have to feed them apart from one another. And by the time all that's done, I have a lot of hope to sit down for my morning prayer. But what inevitably happens, and I blame it on the dogs, that's why I'm trying to build up the work that goes into it, is I'll just grab my laptop, a cup of coffee, and open up and watch, like, YouTube. (laughs) I wish I could say I was watching great content. Lately, what I've been watching, actually, is uh, all of uh, Messi's highlights now that he's in Miami. Anybody else a soccer fan? Cool. Thanks, Keaton. (laughs) I appreciate not being alone in the room. Thanks, man. They've been great, though. So we don't need to get into that. But my morning routine has a lot of intention around it. But the problem is that the, the, the power of my habit means that even when I want to sit down to do my normal, my intentional prayer time... To open up scripture, to settle into some centering prayer. I have it all lined out for what I want to do. But what I end up doing is I perform the rituals that just need to be done. And when I have an option to do something that will help edify me, help build me up, help me become the person that I feel like I'm being called to do, I always choose the easier option to consume rather than to participate. Anybody else caught in this trap? I mean, this is this is such a habit. I've talked to many folks in this room who uh, there's like this habit when you sit down at the end of a day, you pull out your phone just to make sure you double check your email, and then suddenly you spent four hours on TikTok. <laughs> and then like you notice it's actually dark outside, and all the intentions of going for a run, or having a conversation with a partner or a spouse, or um, spending some time with intentional time with kids, not distracted time with kids, all just melts away. This is the problem of living in a 21st century, because you can also spend a ton of time on YouTube watching other people's morning and evening routines. <laughs> And then it feels like you did it, (laughs) even when you just watch somebody else do it. We live in wild times, man. No, No other time in history could you just watch somebody else do their routine and feel like both you were connected to them and like you participated in the work itself. It's a wild time we live in. Which means that intention has to be built into our daily life. And y'all, this is actually definedly what it means to be Methodists. Y'all may not know this, but the Methodist movement that we know and love got its name because people were making fun of the people who started the Methodist movement. A guy named John Wesley in the 18th century started a habit where he would meet with friends at his college in Oxford. And they started calling themselves the the Holy Club, which... (laughs) Different times, I guess. I don't know. But they called themselves the Holy Club. I do not recommend taking on that name, uh, especially if you're in school. I don't know what that might do for you. But uh, they started the Holy Club, and they developed... Methods to deepen in their faith in God alongside other people. So they met daily for prayer, to read scripture, to check in with one another. They asked each other impossible questions, things that are like, that really get to the heart of who we are. Questions like, Am I pretending to be someone I'm not? Am I passing along information that was given to me in confidence? Is Christ living in me? Right? Heavy, hard questions, and they would bring them to each other and ask them earnestly in order to help one another maintain the habits that they had intended to keep. Because without accountability, our intentions float away. And you end up sitting down at the dining room table with a cup of coffee and YouTube open watching other people have have habits. I wish I could say this was a new problem, um, and I guess I sort of did. but. Uh, James, who wrote a letter early on in the Christian movement. He wrote a really a really lovely letter, and part of it he really gets at the heart of the matter here. So I want to read this. This is James chapter one, verses twenty-two through twenty-three. You must be doers of the word and not only hearers who mislead themselves. Those who hear but don't do the word are like those who look at their faces in a mirror. They look at themselves, they walk away, and immediately forget what they were like. But there are those who study the perfect law, the law of freedom, and continue to do it. They don't listen and forget, but they put it into practice in their lives. They will be blessed by whatever... They do. And so it was texts like this that motivated John Wesley to think about what it means to live a life of faith. And especially early on in his life of faith, John Wesley was uncomfortable around a lot of these questions. When he was very young in college, he had a a fervor, a passion for his faith, but soon after graduating and after going on a trip to Savannah that ended in a weird romantic sort of nightmare for him, he came back, which we can talk about, it's a wild story. Uh, Basically, he denied communion to his old girlfriend because she got married while he was out of town, and so he had feelings about that and said, you can't be a part of the church anymore, which is wild (laughs) but anyway john wesley after having all these experiences of trying to do ministries and watching them sort of fail and fall apart he started observing the faith of others and he noticed that he didn't have the same sense of assurance that many of his siblings in christ did and he started talking to some of his mentors about how he could deepen his faith because he felt like he was describing and calling people to live a life of faith that was completely alien to him. He had no trust in God. Christ was not the Lord over his life. He had not been able to center himself in the presence of God, and he didn't have that sense of assurance that everything would be okay, and that God's love had been poured out for him, even while he was describing it being... It being poured out for others. And so he started to ask deeper questions. He started to think about what it meant to live in community. And he started forming new groups of people. In fact, his own faith, his own conversion moment happened just after a Bible study. Where they were reading, y'all, get this. They were reading the introduction written by Martin Luther... To a commentary on the book of Romans. God shows up everywhere, you know? It's amazing. You know, he he came from that Bible study walking down Aldersgate Street, and suddenly he had an immediate sense of assurance, a strange warming of the heart. And from that moment forward, you see his life pivot. And the work that becomes fundamental to who he is, is helping other people have those kinds of experiences. Fundamentally through small group, intentional, vulnerable dialogue around scripture and around their lives. And these patterns of Bible study, of holy conferencing, which just means having a real conversation with your sister or brother about what's really happening in your life. That deepened their commitment to Christ, which meant that it opened up their deeper commitment to service in the world. The early Methodist movement was active in visiting those who'd been imprisoned and visiting those who who were sick in advocating you know the prohibition has its roots in part of the early methodist movement not because Wesley had a problem with alcohol but because Wesley had a problem with the way that distilleries were keeping people who were poor impoverished From the early moments of Methodism, people who had devoted themselves to this daily ritual of prayer, of actually learning how to confess to one another, and living a life that reflected the grace of God, they were able to transform the world around them. They became early advocates uh, against slavery. John Wesley, from the first time he came to America, started advocating against slavery here. And in part, that was one of the reasons why he started focusing just on England while Francis Asbury was here. It's complicated, but the early Methodist movement was all about this idea that we could be intentional in our piety, both in our personal lives and in our communal lives, and that these practices would deepen our commitment to serving the world and advocating for our neighbor. These things are intertwined and tied together. And it's the only way that we get to deepen in our relationship with God. We must be doers of the word and not merely hearers of it. We have to build our structure of accountability around the habits that we want to form in our lives and then tell our friends and neighbors about them in order to hold us accountable to it. There is a perfect model of this. In any anonymous group, AA, NA, Al-Anon, all of these incredible groups, people come because they know we all share in the same kind of brokenness, the same kind of addictive behavior, the same kind of inability to break a habit that has control over me. So they gather in a room and f- the first thing that's done is they name it in their introduction. And yet for some reason, we as people of faith can't can't do that well. We feel like we have to put on a false face. We feel like we have to demonstrate our piety in every moment. We feel like we have to pretend to be something that we aren't. And if we pretend long enough, maybe we'll actually have it ingrained within us. But the truth is it that's not how life works. Without confronting the bad habits, without confronting the addictions, without confronting the inertia of our life. It'll just continue going the way it has been. And you can't confront the inertia of your life by yourself. You just can't. We need this balance of things. We need to live in our legacy of Methodism to. We can so the the jargon here I think is potentially helpful. John Wesley started the Holy Club with some of his colleagues, and then when he started building up churches, they would have churches, and then within those churches, he would create he would form uh, what were called societies, and these actually mirrored societies in the 18th century. You anybody wanted to be a part of a society, the Methodist Society just happened to be the easiest one to join. Because anybody could be a part of it. You didn't have to have wealth or status. You didn't have to have any of those things. But it also was the hardest to join because there was one requirement. A belief in the Lordship of Christ. And a desire to flee from the wrath to come. Now that language is uncomfortable for us now. And we can unpack that. We'll unpack that next week, probably, because it's not the point of right now. The point is they organize themselves around the idea that life could be better if we could be earnest about where we fall short with each other. We could offer grace and accountability in order to continue to grow, and we could have holy conversation that allows our fundamental presuppositions about the world to be challenged in a way that was safe. And then out of those societies, they created even smaller groups of five to seven people called bands. And in a band, you met at least weekly, if not more, to read scripture, to pray, and to confess to each other. And that is it. The simplest of projects. But how many of y'all are just, like, shrinking in? We're not comfortable with being honest with each other. It hurts. It's scary. It's painful. And I don't really have a solution to that. The only way to get through that work is to practice it. And let somebody surprise you with grace and love and affection. And then let that deepen and build. This this is what it means to live a Christian life. To settle into our methods of life alongside one another. Mutual support. Honest reflection on our life deep and thoughtful study of scripture, and then allowing those things to transform our interactions with our neighbors, to become better advocates, to serve those who are in need, and to show up, even when it's inconvenient. To be a Methodist means to take on the teasing scorn of people who don't have habits but kind of wish they did, but it's easier to make fun of you than to actually settle into it. That's what it means to be Methodist, to settle into intentional ritual, intentional dialogue and conversation, intentional service, intentional lives, so that we don't get stuck like I have in this meaningless, settling in front of a computer screen, to just watch an hour disappear. I'm grateful that y'all received that very small confession, right? But that it it is what it is, you know? And so now that I've named it here, I hope that we can have conversation about that. My assumption is you don't think I'm terrible, maybe. (laughs) because I have some bad habits, but instead we're in it together. And so, what are yours? And where can you share it? Where can you name who you are honestly? Where you are honestly? What your habits are honestly? So that they can be acknowledged. Their power can be released. And we can acknowledge our dependence on our God. Who continues to reign an abundance of love for each of us. It's a hard challenge, but it's so essential. So essential. The reason many of us are caught up in unhealthy political discourse. It's because we're scrolling either through Twitter or TikTok or the New York Times, or whatever, or we're watching Fox News or MSNBC nonstop. Every time I visit someone in the hospital, it's either Fox News or MSNBC constantly on a screen. And we wonder why our anxiety is high, our habits are bad. So what is your addiction? that keeps you from participating in these methods. Amen. What I worry that someone in the room may have heard is that you need to feel bad about who you are <laughs> or the habits that have become normalized in your life. There's a difference between some helpful guilt and an unhelpful shame. There's a big difference. We can do the wrong thing sometimes. I mean, Lord have mercy, I do it every day. Anybody who's tried to interact with me when I'm hungry, (laughs) game over. Or if I'm on the way to a meeting that I'm already late for, super sorry. I am guilty of not being my best self. That doesn't mean that I am inherently bad. I hope. But there's a difference there. And working through our habits and naming where we get things wrong sometimes is really helpful. Where it becomes problematic is when we try to hide them. Cover them up, pretend that they aren't actually an issue, and then they get deep seated. And because we're unable to talk about them, they become shameful. Because then it becomes st- about something about who I am that I feel like I need to hide from the world. I do not encourage that. The way that we grow is by naming where our little flaws are in the moment and then growing through them. By naming, I want to do my mornings differently, setting up a different schedule and asking people in my life, I don't probably need all of y'all to keep me accountable (laughs) to a different morning routine, but I do have people in my life who will hold me accountable to my preferred morning routine. So who are those folks for you? What would it mean to develop methods of faithful life in your circle? That's the question I want to ask. You are infinitely beloved by God, and there is nothing you can do about that. It just is. And none of us is perfect. So we get to learn how to live with an infinite love while also acknowledging that we are not yet perfect. And that tension is what allows us to grow. So I invite you to stand and receive this benediction. think it's just that. You are beloved and you are not perfect, and that is a gift. So as you go from this place, carry the reality of your life with you, being who you are, so that as we learn how to be who we are with one another, we can grow through our faults and failures into an abundant and perfect love of God. Go from this place, go from this time, in an abundance of peace. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to this week's sermon from North Decatur United Methodist Church. If you like this podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes. And if you want to learn more about our church, you can visit us at ndumc.org.